Welcome to the Community Cast, Episode 2. I am Owen, and I'm here with a very special guest, Buddy Sola, who used to be a Game Master with Square Enix for Final Fantasy XIV and is now a Community Manager with Akupara Games. Buddy, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the cast. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It is people like you that make this kind of cast happen, and so thank you so much for being here. Let's start with the basics of, you know, what is a Game Master? Okay, so a game master is the the kind of touch point between the administrative side of the game and the company, right, and the player, right? So if I'm a designer or something like that on Final Fantasy XIV, it's rare that I'm going to, like, get in and talk to players of the games. But if the players of the games have feedback, they're reporting bugs, someone is harassing them, someone is cheating, and they want to report that person, the point of contact for that person will be the game master. And in that way, there's they're kind of... a. Uh, the GM role is a little bit of a nexus between, you know, like quality assurance and bug bug stuff, uh, community management and managing how the players are interacting with one another, and then just like straight up customer service, right? Um, when it comes to how players are enjoying the the product. And just out of curiosity, because I know I've interacted with game masters in the past in World of Warcraft. Whereas your role something that was more of like you being in the game itself, interacting with the community, dealing with bug fixes, things like that. It was it was that the idea. It's more of like kind of a hands on approach rather than more of an administrative like, ah, yes, I see we have a bug here. Yeah, yeah. The game masters uh, have a decent amount of control over like the game world. I obviously, I, you know, I can't get into specifics about what right. that control looks like. Right. Um, but like, if there is a problem in the game world that needs uh, a sort of immediate hand on the ground, it isn't anyone but a game master that goes in to address that problem. If that makes sense. My my experience in the past with game masters has been there was a creature that I needed to kill in World of Warcraft, and it was bugged. It was evading the entire time. Oh, yeah, I could yeah, not absolutely. kill it. That and kind so of thing, yeah. Is, I just is typed very, in a little you know, support thing. Hey, Game Master, I need help with this. And lo and behold, not just it was fixed, a little avatar of the Game Master showed up next to me and was like, hey, let me do this like cool magic-y stuff on your screen. It's fixed now. Uh, and so that was kind of the... Yeah, there's plenty of that kind of stuff. And for plenty of different, you know, like if I deleted my super powerful, awesome sword or whatever, right, you can contact the GM team and a GM will like, they'll either come down and say, hey, here's your sword back or we'll put it in a mail or something like that and send it off to a player kind of a thing. So, right, so like when, when, when players are having trouble with like the content of the game in a, in a pretty manageable way, that's like not a bug, but something that is like, you know, expected. Sometimes people delete their favorite item that happens sort of thing. It, it, it's the GM team that is going to be kind of like the point of reference and the point of attack to solving the problem. And it, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that the a game master seems to be more of also like a hands-on role rather than 
contacting support, hearing from them in two to three weeks about something, and then just emailing you back that the bug is fixed. It seems like it's more of a thing that you're actively there participating with fixing everything. Yeah, I mean, the GM team really wants to get in touch with players personally, right? You know, like something... Um, so, like, for instance, the difference in, in a way between, like, a communities-facing kind of role, like a community manager and mm -hmm. a GM, is that, like, the community manager is kind of, like, talking to people in big giant blasts, right? Like, I'm running the Twitter account, and I tweet something, and like thousands of people see it or whatever right whereas the gm is is one one on one it's super personalized right it is i i'm having a trouble in the game and i need someone from the company to help me out that person is going to be the gm and we're going to have a, we're going to sit down and have a quick conversation about okay who was it that was you know calling you racial slurs so that i can look into it and take action on their account kind of thing so you you've made the a nice segue over to uh the community manager thing so you have now moved away from uh square enix over to akupara so tell me what have you been doing over at akupara games as the community manager there yeah so it is it is definitely something that is similar but also like incredibly unique in a way you know what i mean it's kind of like going it's like it's like it's like the difference between a potato and a sweet potato do you know what I mean? like they're similar but they're also pretty different you know and you can't they, like they swap one in for another different. so i had to learn a lot um one of the things about being on the community team is that uh you are you're also kind of simultaneously in this marketing position right where it is about how you how you write up patch notes that are fun and engaging for people to read but also informative about all the changes that are coming to the game sort of thing right how do you interact with people um in that sort of public way where it's not just like you know m me having a, a personalized 1v1 conversation with someone in 14 is a lot different than me tweeting back and forth with someone who is talking about one of our recent you know one of our recent products um so that that is probably the biggest point of contrast i would say between them is that like that that public nature of being a community manager versus just being you know uh, a game master you, you you reminded me of things that are going on in the world right now one of which is that i i'm blanking on the, the title of the game but there's a game out there that they have put all of their patch notes of voice acted by the cast of the game i have not heard about that is oh, that a yeah. real thing that's a real thing <laughs> like and so like you have this like gruff like this gruff voice that's just being like patch note 1.487 the game now has less bugs <laughs> when it comes to this th like it's the end it's like an wow. entire 15 minutes of like their voice acting cast doing that and i was so like I didn't realize that. So patch notes is things that game master or not game masters. I'm sorry. Community managers are responsible for making. That's not. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You okay. Know, I spend a lot of time. Uh, I mean, part of it is that like the community manager uh, is is more of a window between like the designers and the the community than than the gm kind of position ever really was like it is up to me to sort of like congeal all of the stuff that the designer and they're talking about really technical stuff right mm -hmm. they they refer to things and you're just reading this it's just like oh my god this change log what are they talking about or whatever and i have to like digest that content and make it into something readable so that uh so that when i tweet out the patch notes or whatever um the players meaningfully understood what it is that has that has changed you you take all of 
of the computer jargon of the dev team and then just go, this gun hits harder. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and you know, and sometimes it is bigger or smaller, right? Like, you know, one of the things uh, that I obviously pay a lot of attention to is what are the big fixes, what are the small fixes, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, something that's huge for the developers, right? Like, getting rid of a pesky bug that, like, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, it deletes a weapon out of your inventory sometimes or whatever. That could be a huge monumental undertaking for those guys, right? But, like, for the average player, that's not really what matters all that much. And so sorting the kind of priority on what you know what is it that players want to read in a kind of like top line billing right like okay we've added a shop where you can go buy new guns in the game or whatever that's a huge deal for a lot of players even if putting in the functionality of something kind of like that is like not big for the devs as you're with akupara games what have you uh i mean what has akupara games been up to what have you been working on what what, like titles are you uh in charge of community managing uh, so Akupara currently has seven published titles. Uh, and so so part of it is that Akupara is a publisher. So a lot of the time we are partnering with indie developers, right? So, you know, you just came out of college or you have a small game under your belt, right? And you want to make a big play on Steam or on Apple or on, you know, like the PS4 arcade, any of those kinds of things or whatever. Uh, the expertise that Akupara brings to that is we just kind of say like, hey, listen, we will help you do marketing. We will help get your games up on the right number of stores we'll keep track of all that stuff so you guys can just like sit down and code essentially right right um so the six games are keep in mind remastered which is a very small uh adventure game kind of about um mental health and uh and uh, the different issues that the player character kind of goes through uh chicken assassin which is just kind of a beat-em-up um Desert Child, which released at the end of last year, which is a racing game, but like kind, it's not like Mario Kart. It's like 2D. It's really tough to explain, but uh, I actually really love Desert Child. It is actually my favorite of all of the games, so I highly recommend uh, Desert Child for anybody interested. And then we have a couple of other titles, uh, including our most recent title, which is Mutazione, an adventure game uh, by the Danish developer Dikute Fabrik, um, which is all about you know like you head to an island of mutants and kind of uh experience them and their and their drama and their relationships it's a lot it's, it's kind of like a soap opera right um mm-hmm. or like a light novel almost uh in in gamer speak and so while you're a community managing with akupara what is the differences that of what you are doing with them uh in that kind of way as a publisher uh rather than being a community manager for let's say like the developing side yeah, I, so this is so obvious in hindsight, but at the time I had no idea what I was kind of like stepping into. So the the thing about uh, working at a AAA company is that you are surrounded by people mostly like you, right? Like when I was working with as a GM, I was working on a team of other GMs, right? Who are part of a department of other people who do, do stuff that is like GMs, right? Like, and there are you know, 150 people in that office and then hundreds of other people on offices in Tokyo and around the world, right? Um, So you are much, much more a cog in the machine. I never really had a real kind of conversation outside of just like a handshake um, with devs or designers or QA people because like you just don't like interact with those people as much. But when you're working with an indie game publisher and with, with indie game developers, it's you it's a couple of devs it's you know i have a conversation with the sound composer about what she's looking for in 
in voice acting talent because she wants me to put up a tweet advertising voice acting talent, right? So I have this much, much greater connection to the the very different roles inside of the company because all of a sudden my company of 20,000 people shrunk to a company of, you know, 25 people. And working with a company of 25 people, do you feel like the feedback that you have from the community is a lot more immediate or is it still something that takes a lot of time like it would in a larger um like a larger game it definitely takes a lot of time to capitalize on any of this stuff right because like we don't have the um you know indie games are much smaller in scope obviously but they're also smaller in in manpower so the amount of times that it takes to put up changes in desert child right we did a big halloween update for desert child for this month so there's pumpkins around and we changed some of the stuff in the game or whatever that took a lot of time to put together and Part of my job was going through the feedback on the title and seeing what people wanted added to the game and changed around and stuff like that. But, you know, we didn't put up the the changes for maybe three to six months afterwards, right? Um, so it probably takes about the same amount of time for feedback to kind of like filter through the system. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a lot easier uh, to sort of... Um, scoop it up in a way because the games are for smaller audiences and therefore it's a lot easier you know listen if you want to get the game that you love to make changes make that game an indie game because it's a lot easier for me to see your you know your feedback on desert child or on chicken assassin or something kind of along those lines when that is a uh, a game servicing a smaller player base than you know when i when i'm servicing you know uh, Final Fantasy 14, which is going to have dozens of people every day submitting feedback about what they'd like to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it seems like it's one of those things that when you have a smaller fan base, but also smaller developers, that you are, you know, in, in a sense, a larger voice within that community because there yeah. are only so many of you whereas you know when you're working with something that's a larger game that you are a drop in the bucket to the hundreds upon hundreds of other voices that are also saying either similar or vastly different things that should be done to the game yeah and i've seen from the players that we interact with like that's a really addicting thing for them i mean addicting might be the wrong kind of word right but like the sort of direct feedback that go like in our discord for instance right like it's really easy for a player to say hey i love desert child and people from the company who worked on desert child to go thanks what did you like about it and that and th th bridging that gap for folks is so much easier in an indie game sort of sense because you don't really have to worry about right like public relations or making you know statements and you're not overwhelmed with requests from people to talk to the dev team right it's it is it, and that that almost intimacy um between the players and the creators i think is something that really pays off for them, right? Like the best example I can think of is like our fan artist community. We have a bunch of fan artists who love our games and they typically come in on one where they're just like, oh, I played this, I had a great time. Here's a piece of fan art. And I'll say, hey, come you know, join our Discord or whatever. But now like a year later, six months later, when we're releasing new titles, they're still drawn in to make fan art of the new titles just because of how, wow. how cool it is to be able to, you know, sit down and chat with artists developers right sound designers the people who are behind the games that they've been working on right that's kind of almost 
why we do this podcast is to bring those people closer to yeah right. you know th- those those that make these games and those that uh kind of lift the curtain and the veil to show people you know this is these are the people that do this kind of stuff um is there a area other than like discord that you kind of have that interaction that intimacy uh, i'm just kind of thinking of like um going to any of the conventions like pax or something like that and being able to have that kind of one-on-one chat yeah that no that happens all the time when we do convention stuff like so for instance for desert child we actually rigged desert child we bought an old arcade cabinet right and uh, and we stripped out all of the guts and put in essentially the guts of desert child and we brought that arcade cabinet to uh the indie mega booth where we were featured that year right so people could walk up and play the arcade version of the game and we were just right you know like we're just right there right and it's not like there was these huge lines this is the other thing right like the new assassin's creed or whatever gets announced and everybody wants to play the demos so there's Mm -hmm. these giant giant lines for whatever that content kind of looks like it's like no like most people just kind of come up and they say oh is this your game and we're like yeah try it out and you have a you know a 15 minute conversation with them kind of like all about it the convention circuit is a lot of fun and it's uh, a really cool engaging place to connect with people like literally in real time face to face well that is all of the questions that i have for you today other than our last one we have a segment on our normal uh podcast that is called what have you been playing lately and so buddy uh what have you been playing lately well uh feel free to to crucify me everyone i've been playing world of warcraft and hearthstone classic (laughs) or Both, actually. Both, okay. I've been playing retail World of Warcraft for a long time, um, and I like Classic just as much. You know, I played Vanilla WoW, so I've swapped between them pretty interchangeably. Um, and uh, and I've, I've always been a pretty big Hearthstone player, including, like, the esports scene. And so, like, waking up on, like, Tuesday morning to find out that, like, Hearthstone esports, which, like... You have to understand, Hearthstone Esports is really small. This is not like League of Legends where people are like, you know, selling out the Staples Center or whatever. Most Hearthstone Esports matches are played remotely by people in their bedrooms. Um, So finding out that the Hearthstone Esports scene was at the center of like an international political incident is kind of like finding out that your imaginary friend robbed a bank. It's just like, huh? You're not supposed to know about that guy, right? Like, so that was very everybody strange. now knows the name of Blitz Chung. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> everybody now understands who Blitz Chung is, right? Um, I do want to say, you know, I was uh, I was pretty disappointed with everything that went on um, when it came to like the Blizzard side of things. Um, I I definitely agree that, and Blitz Chung, you know, he said as much. Like, I definitely agree that the Hearthstone esports broadcast probably shouldn't become a political platform and that he was breaking the rules uh, by turning it into such. Uh, but I definitely think Blizzard went way too far in their punishment, um, which was like my big concern. So when Blizzard announced, by the way, like the worst statement ever, just like the dumbest statement uh. of all time, when they announced that they were like, you know, I tried to see past it. When they announced that they were going to lessen the suspension um, and give him his prize money, I was like, okay, this is fine. Especially when Blitzchung, like he, he then put out his statement where he was like i knew i was gonna get hit for this right but like i thought it was that important thanks blizzard kind of thing it, so, it I, seems yeah. almost though that a, a company that large 
either they don't have a PR team or they need a better one. <laughs> just Listen, because... Blizzard, hire me. I will be your community <laughs> manager. Just... I will manage this outrage. Oh, no, please it's... don't. I am not prepared for that. <laughs> it just seems like one of those things that, like, I understood where they came from. I understood the initial banning. I understand the backlash online. I understand them backtracking. Like, I get the initial waves of this. But then when they're like, Oh yeah, we took like most of the May merchandise off of our stores so that way people can't buy May merchandise because she's being used as a symbol for the protests. I was like, guys, why? You don't this is this is now looking bad on top of what you've already done. And then on top of that, you have the American University team that has now been banned from playing Hearthstone for six months for also protesting. I feel like and it's I'm such just... a no, yeah, it's like such a no-win scenario. Because like, okay, because the original thing that happened last week is that American University team did the Blitzchunk thing and then they didn't get hit for it. So they were like, well, we forfeit. So, you know, because this is hypocrisy. Blizzard is hypocritically, right, like applying its rules to China and not to and not to the US or whatever. And so now they got and so now the American University team did get banned after they forfeit, which is kind of like saying, like, <laughs> cool. you know, you go like I quit and then it's like, no, you're fired, right? Like a little late for that, you guys. But um, but so then they banned the the team, and now everyone's outraged that they banned the team. It's just like Blizzard, you can't win, you guys. I'm sorry, you're screwed. Well, and the worst part is, is, I might be going to BlizzCon. So I think BlizzCon is going to be very interesting to watch in general, just because of this hotbed. And I honestly, like, I was thinking about the incident with the AU team, and I was just like, guys, how many people are watching? Like, you said it yourself, the Hearthstone esports community is small. I have yeah. to imagine the collegiate side of that oh, is it's even tiny, smaller. Right? It's and like so 2,000, you know, if 15,000 people, I actually don't really know the numbers that well, but like, let's say 15,000 people regularly tune in to watch like Grandmasters, which is where the streamers play and like right. the pros play and all the big names play. You have to admit, like, basically nobody watches the collegiate scene and it's cool and i'm glad that blizzard is like supporting that like you know kind of politically agnostically i think it's really great that they're giving out scholarship money and fostering a collegiate esports scene i think that's really cool and really awesome or whatever but it's also kind of like what are you guys doing jesus christ yeah i i agree i mean i looked at that and i was like man if your community that's watching the collegiate stuff is even smaller just let it happen like i know you don't want to but at that point like just save yourself the press headlines and just bring bringing everything back up like just as the smoke was starting to clear you've now thrown more like you know t you put more fuel on the fire and made it even worse um blizzard please stop i like your games hearthstone is fun i know, know i really want to play like diablo 4 without like right. guilt or whatever you know i, I you know i i feel weird when i'm playing overwatch because i play a lot of overwatch and i'm just like look it's the halloween time and there's new skins and i want to be excited about this but like when when I have people that don't play video games talking to me about the shit that you've done, it's yeah. just like, oh. That's the funny rough. part, actually, is that most of, like, you know, I'm part of a big World of Warcraft guild. Uh, we all really enjoy the game. And I was really expecting, like, like 
shockwaves and tremors to hit everyone in the guild when we were started talking about this. But basically, everyone was like, I mean, I like Hong Kong, and I couldn't agree more at the protest, but, like, I gotta do my mythics, okay, you guys? Like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Which I kind of respect, right? Like, you know, obviously, the decision of the Hearthstone esports team, like, is not the same decision that, like, the WoW team is making, so, you know, right. I kind of get it's, that. It is a large company. You know, I, I highly doubt that people are going to be holding grudges when the next Modern Warfare comes out yeah. and you know like penalizing call of duty in the same way um i i, I do have to ask horde or alliance oh I, so so okay faction <laughs> partisanship is a lie by the way <laughs> i have played but i've when i first started i played uh horde and then i started an alt on alliance so i like both sides uh pretty interchangeably um and i really get into it also like for one of the new features of uh or not new features it's been out for two years but one of the features of uh the battle for azeroth expansion is these like war fronts where like you join a big giant horde or alliance battle and it'll swap like week to week sort of thing who is on the attacking side who's on the defending side and so when it's like when you're on the horde side you're like yeah death to the alliance and then like next week it's the alliance side, and you're like yeah screw those horde dogs like Put them down, you know. It's tough to get too invested in the, you know, the the partisanship of uh, of like imaginary internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate you being on here and uh, being willing to to talk about all of this. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about uh, Mutazione? Uh, so if listeners would like to play the most recent Akupara title. It came out just a month ago. It's called Mutazione. Uh, it's on Steam, PS4, and Apple Arcade. Uh, it's a really great game. I have spent a ton of time playing it, and I really, really enjoyed my time there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at ThatBuddySola. Uh, we also host our own podcast called Some Derps Talk About Games, and I'm very excited to announce, I guess here, are we announcing this here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that Owen will be joining us uh, for for a little cross promotion over there so and I'm, we will uh, have you and your co-host over on our normal uh series the forecast uh which we just talk about uh video games and board games uh and that will also happen in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. everybody at home you can also find me on twitter at owen patterline and you can find more of the horizon team over at facebook.com slash we are the horizon or as always on our website we are the horizon.com thank you so much for listening This podcast was produced by Owen Patterline and edited by me, Alex McCoslin. Special thanks to our guest, Buddy Sola, for allowing us to interview him about his experience working as a game master for Square Enix. Another special thanks to Occupier Games for allowing Buddy to come on and talk about his current position there as a community manager. Really interesting stuff being able to compare and contrast the two roles. This week's music is brought to you by Amare. You can check out all his other music on Spotify or SoundCloud.com slash Amare. Also, go check out all of our other content at wearethehorizon.com. Be sure to take a look at our November 1st episode of the forecast, Expanding Horizons. It's our new monthly book club. At the end of each podcast, we'll reveal what we're reading for the next month, so you can read along if you'd like. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.